It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main. And I had to make sure we got Legata in there, as you saw earlier before the show. Uh, Peggy, uh, <laughs> Peggy knows that I tried to to get Legata. <laughs> tried to. The word of warning, folks: do not try to manipulate your cat. Your cat does not nope, appreciate. Nope nope. nope, 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 nope. Don't try that. So, so Mike picks Legata up, tries to hold her in front of the mic, and suddenly she grew about four more legs, and she's like, "Get me out of here." Doc Ock. <laughs> uh, and and there she was. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, good look morning. at that lovely light that you you got the shadow going right through the middle of your I got face. The yeah. Well, it, yeah, you can. No, no. You want to be uh, kind of uh, mysterious. There you go. Wow. And it just changes the whole light the, when you move. The, the camera's adjusting to that. I can and, fix it. Um, no, 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 no. You don't need to fix it now. I mean, you, when, when you can't see, then you fix it. All right. And that's fine. Well, it's, it's this equinox thing or something. Um, <laughs> I'm facing West and this is the sun coming over the house, and hitting the neighbor's second floor window right. and coming through. To the East. It's. And Julie, oh, you, or West. Okay. Anyway. What? Anyway, I'm just. Anyways, doing... lots of people are saying happy spring, happy spring, happy spring. Uh, oh, and and and. Anne, Wayne, Kathy, Amos, Ernest from Portland, Oregon. Oh yeah. Zanzibar. Hey, hey, Ernest. I'm glad you mentioned Ernest because Ernest has been a follower of the show, follower, follower of the follower? show for for a long time. Back when I, I know from when I was at Progresso Radio, uh, and uh, and I and and quite possibly. Um, at uh, Gargantua Radio down the dial, uh, but uh, I didn't realize he was uh, following us on the stream. So, Ernest, thank you so much from Portland, Oregon. It's great to have you uh, following us. Uh, and Zan's here, and Amos, and and a bunch of the people uh, that you've got there. Ernest says, "Yes, indeed, yes, he in- is actually on Periscope." You're the one. Okay, good. <laughs> I go to Periscope. He you gets know, a it's, ding. It's, it's really, it's interesting because normally on Periscope, we have like a 20 people watch us on Periscope. When we had um, Nikki Jabour on the program, uh, who uh, is a gardener out of Halifax, Nova Scotia, we had 600 views. 
so it shows you where Nikki, Nikki's friends are. I mean, yeah. it's just, yeah. So, uh, Her most, tribe's on Periscope, yes. And, and our tribe is right now on, uh, on YouTube and Facebook. But, hey, a few folks watch us on the Twitter machine and, uh, or Twitter or whatever. I've, I've grown to calling uh, face whatever it is. I, I, I now call it Faceborg because resistance is futile. <laughs> um, Faceborg. I think that will be our, 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 our new... That is irrelevant. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, have we got hey, a great show? Let... What? Yeah, and I was going to say, let's tell everybody where we were yesterday. Oh, right. Before we get to our great guests today. Wow. Um, and, and by the way, get your rants on, folks. Get your rants, R-A-N-T-S, not pants, rants. Uh, <laughs> you can... You know, too, I don't even need my pants on right now, okay? I'm not telling you if don't they are us. on or not. Don't tell us. <laughs> but uh, get your rants on because we have the Garden Rant folks here today. And uh, we'll see if uh, a few of you uh, have some issues with your gardening and your gardens and people who promote gardening and whatever, all of it. So uh, we'll get to that in a second. But but yesterday we were at a fabulous conference. Com- a concert. Yes, we went to a concert, <laughs> and we were the stars. Uh, Peggy, t- tell us a little bit about that. Virtually, of course. Of course. Um, well, last week we mentioned Chicago Community Gardeners Association was having their eighth annual conference. The team did an incredible job. They used a, a platform called Hopin, and which just, I had never heard of. Yeah, it's uh, but it. It had conference rooms, breakout rooms, sessions, networking, exhibit areas, music, videos. It was just, they did an outstanding job. Um, and we presented at lunchtime, basically. Uh, and we were Go talking ahead. about Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards. Um, there, yes. Which will be happening for 2021. And the good news is the 60-second Garden Video Challenge is back. And um, um, you can enter a video of your garden from anywhere in the world. We don't care uh, because we're not. We don't have to go out personally and and judge it. Um, and uh, the rules are going to be pretty much the same as last year. Keep it under sixty seconds, and uh, and show us what you got. And then it's people's choice. Or, or awards. we get the hook. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, if you're over sixty seconds, we either give you a call and say chop it or we'll do it ourselves and um uh and the idea is show us your garden and be as creative as possible and we're doing it in two sections this year because for gardening award programs we what we always hear and i think i mentioned this last week uh Mm -hmm. people saying you don't do the spring you should have seen what my garden looked like in may you know because the judge is beautiful it was, yeah, it was and, unbelievable. <laughs> and now it stinks, um, you know, in July. Uh, the slugs ate it. Right. So <laughs> that is uh, what we're doing. We're, we're doing two sections. One is called spring. One is called summer. Uh, I made up those terms. And, uh, wow. Yes, I'm thank you. Uh, uh, <laughs> the spring is uh, May and June. Summer's July and August. So there'll be two sections. So show us your spring garden or and or. Show us your summer garden. Um, some people, I honestly, I do better in spring. My garden is fabulous in spring, and then it's sort of uh, it. I mean, it's not you bad, can, but yeah. it gets bad. It gets it gets worse. Let's put it that way as the season goes on. 
And you can win accolades and fancy prizes. Right. We've got Wally prizes and some cash awards, some rain barrels to get. Oh, well, we think. We have to talk to the MWRD, but they're really good about giving us rain barrels to give out. Um, and, and again, anywhere in the world uh, you can submit. Uh, we had more than 13,000 views last year, which was really cool. Uh, let's double it this year, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, will make our lives miserable. But um, that's okay. That's our job is to be miserable uh, because we're gardeners. And, um, and it starts – That's a rant. That's a rant right there. But that's, that's inside baseball rant, you know, about you know, having to do things like that. But uh, the, uh, the, the contest will start May 1st. Uh, all the information will be at chicagogardeningawards.org. So stand by for that. And the other thing we're going to talk about today, but we'll do it when we get our first guests on here, is uh, the uh, City Grange event, which is uh, in its final day today. It's been Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, the, uh, what is it, the, the Great... The great grow, great grow, grow along. Grow along. I was going to say the great, the great grow along. Uh, I was going to say the great grow off. Contest. It's not the great grow no, off. Grow along. On my program grow once, along. I had the great bracked off. Uh, I wanted people to get bracked off, uh, and it was about trying to get. They? It, they did. It was about trying to get your poinsettias to re-bloom or re-bracked, get color in the bracts, because you have to jump through hoops of horticultural fire to make that happen. Uh, so anyway, that said, uh, we will get to uh, the, the great grow along in a second. I think we need to get to the heart of the program right now. So let's bring in our guests, that uh, woman you see there uh, on the lower left who's uh, getting into place there is uh, Susan Harris. Uh, Hi. On, and on her right is Ma- Marianne Wilburn. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Mike. Hi, Peggy. Uh, hi, and Susan. It's, <laughs> that's right. Say hi to everybody. Everybody just wave and say hi to, to everybody else. Uh, these are the Garden Rant folks, and uh, just a couple of them. And you'd have to go a long way back on my show to know my history with Garden Rant. Uh, it does go back a ways. Uh, but I'm going to let you give us very quickly, Susan, the elevator speech for Garden Rant, for folks who are uninitiated. And, and if you haven't heard of Garden Rant, why not? Why haven't you? I guess you don't... <laughs> I guess you don't cruise There's the internet. There's a rant right there. Yeah, all right. A- everything's a rant, Peggy. Right. Uh, uh, write that down. Uh, actually, one of the questions I'm going to ask... Where's late, your trowel? Uh, one, oh, right. All right, trowel's out, everybody. All right. Trowel's all right. out. Uh, Marianne, Marianne doesn't have a trowel because... She needs to borrow internet from her. You know, I'm surprised you're not parked. In, you're not in the parking lot of a McDonald's grabbing the internet from that, Marianne. I, uh, it's almost like that. I know. It's almost like that. Well, I'll tell you what. Before we get to the elevator speech, Marianne, tell us why you have to borrow internet from a friend. Well, we just don't have the infrastructure in uh, the north, you would think we're 60 miles outside of D.C., and we don't exist in terms of Internet, except for our entire lives are supposed to be run through the Internet now, including my children's textbooks. So it is frustrating. However, there is hope because Elon Musk has promised some really amazing things with satellites. So we are on that list. 
And when, and when he starts doing his magic, we will be, I, I'm going to be in my own office, roosters behind me, <laughs> and garden trowel in hand. But it is, and it, my friends will be so happy. <laughs> it, it, it is kind of interesting, though. Like you said, you're, you're 60 miles outside of Washington, D.C., and you have, yeah. okay, one of you is, I think that's you, and your, Marianne, your mic is clicking quite a bit there. It's a little scratchy there. Let's see. We'll, we'll see if that's the one. All right. I think it is. Um, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> Don't strangle yourself with that. Uh, but there you are, and having to borrow from a friend so that you can get a good Internet connection so we can do this. And I'm and as I mentioned to you the other day, I'm hoping that this new uh, act that got passed, the $1.9 uh, trillion bill, will provide some Internet service to peop- to poor people like you to sad, uh, unhappy people in the boonies uh, who, who have nothing better to do than, than write garden rants um, and, and write books, and we'll get to that in a second. But uh, I, I imagine, though, with the children in the schooling, that's, that had to have been kind of frustrating. Very. And, and, you know, when we first moved there, it didn't bother me at all because I'm just not an Internet-focused person. So it didn't bother me, but our lives have really changed and just even in the last six, seven years uh, in terms of what we need, what the world expects of us, and then Zoom, obviously. Yeah. (laughs) Tell us about it, Zoom, yes. Um, All right, let's go to our our other guest who is one of the founders of Garden Rant, and uh, I've known her for a while, and uh, that's Susan Harris. And give us your background. I, I actually didn't get the background completely from Marianne, but it'll come out in dribs and drabs. I'm really bad at this sort of introduction thing, but go ahead, Susan. Well, I started uh, garden blogging in 2005, and a year later, um, we had uh, myself and Amy Stewart and Michelle Owens started um, a team blog called Garden Rant, and with the audacious um, tagline of uprooting the gardening world, and of course the name is pretty audacious too, but we wanted there to be a place for opinion writing and a place to cover um, controversy and uh, just to be uh, an alternative to how-to writing, which we didn't find particularly fulfilling to do. So. Um, uh, so as I say, it's been 15 years. We're celebrating 15 years now with um, a brand new design and um, two great new um, uh, partners. Dan Hinckley is well known to many in this country and Anne Wareham is well known in England. So we have, so we're celebrating, you know, we're, um, uh, we're still ranting and um, <laughs> it, it changes over time, but uh, Marianne joined us uh, I think in less than a year, year ago, and she's been a, a great, um, a great new partner. Has really been instrumental in moving us into um, a new design, and uh, we're, we're rejuvenated over here. <laughs> Thanks for letting me gush on about it. <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't realize you needed to be uh, rejuvenated. Uh, oh, we did. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Well, that's actually something I want to talk to you. But you have a cast of characters, as you said, you had. Four people at the outset, um, and they were yourself and Elizabeth Licata and uh, Amy Stewart and uh, Michelle Owens. 
And uh, Amy and Michelle had both been on my show. Michelle actually got in some trouble on the social media when she was on my show. Yeah, you're nodding. And, and she said something about dog And that poop. was back in 2010 or something. Yeah, yeah, it was. was a long time ago. Uh, and then it was at that point that I realized how dangerous the uh, the internet really is. Um, <laughs> I didn't at the time. I thought, oh, I'm oh, a guard. I, you know, and I had been on the uh, the radio at that point um, for 13 years and uh, had never had anything like that happen. But once you get involved, yeah. Um, wow. Once you get involved in the internet, then things uh, go haywire. Uh, and I'll know what happens with tweets, yes. Well, it's it's a lot easier for somebody to dash off a tweet or a comment mm-hmm. on Facebook um, and, than it is for them to pick up a phone and call a radio show and get questioned one-to-one uh, on whatever their opinion might be. Uh, so it's this, and, and there's a lot of people have written about this, the anonymity of, of what you're doing, and yeah. um, it, it just in some ways has led to a culture of people always on the edge, always ready to rant, um, I guess. Um, so well, how... As a writer, I would say that I'm always trying to watch my back and, and frankly, and, uh, and try to anticipate what someone might be angry, you know, how, how something I'm writing might anger, anger someone and can that be fixed? You know, so, because I don't want to, to get into battles. Uh, well, I don't really either, uh, and I'm 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 terrified I'm going to say something stupid, but I, I'm sure you know I do each week, uh, and then when I do, I try to correct myself the next time around. You know, we say we say dumb things, we've we've led people astray, and and then we come back the next week and say, hey, you, that might have been wrong. Uh, let's 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 re let's reexamine that. Um, Marianne, have you had that happen to you? I, you know, I I have really tried to call for moderation when I'm uh, just watching some of the stuff that has happened, not just in, in in the culture as a whole, but in our industry too. Mm-hmm. Um, and to realize, to help people realize that nobody's pure enough. We're all human beings. We're all going to make mistakes. We're going to make we're going to flub up. Uh, people don't know exactly what's in our minds, and so. I, a few rants that I've done have been like, "Hey guys, let's <laughs> let's realize we're all human." Um, so far, I, I don't even want to touch wood and say that I haven't been. Well, in you got into I'll, trouble. I'll say something. Tonight. You got into trouble with Scott Bureline, uh and that's. Oh well, that's different. <laughs> that's it. That's that was one of the writer family. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and- that was different. Uh, and, uh, Scott and I, uh, he he wrote an article for Horticulture, and that was back in August, uh, almost two years ago, and he was ticking off uh, British garden writers and saying that there was no place for them in American, uh, in American gardens for American gardeners. Now, he was doing it in fun. Yes, he was. And uh, he totally was doing it in fun. But I was just in the right mood to just answer mm-hmm. him in fun. Um, <laughs> and I was just really fortunate that I could call Susan and say, hey, could I put my answer up on Garden Rant? And, and she said, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, then, and so Scott was sort of blindsided, poor, poor lad. But he's done things to me in the past when we both spoke at a, at a conference 
uh, several years ago. He he got me a couple times, uh, and we belly laughed over it. But I'm like, okay, you're due. So, <laughs> so, and we've been going back ever since. He he rebutted me. I rebutted him. Um, he rebutted me again, and then we just we started a correspondence. So we've got this digital correspondence now, where he'll write me a letter, I'll write him a letter. It goes out on Garden Rant. Neither one of us sees it before it it hits that. Um, oh my gosh! That oh. screen. Oh my gosh! And so oh. you know when I know a letter's coming, because uh, he he'll sometimes he'll text me and say, "No, you know on its way." You know a letter's and coming I'll pick because up you my feel. Coffee. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was going to say you There's probably feel. In the universe. Yeah, right. There's an aura that happens at that point. And he's good, boy. He's good. Um, he came out to Washington last. What was it, Susan? Last year and roasted me. Was it year before last? And he roasted <laughs> me. And he's good at it. Well, um, um, he is. But so are you. Um, I I wouldn't want to take on either of you okay i don't want to be and, and susan's saying the same thing it's like neither of us wants to go down that road but the thing is you wrote about you know you were defending the british and their books and their ways and and there's one thing that saves the british and it's nothing you mentioned in any of your rants it's this alan 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 okay <laughs> So that's that's what saves the British right there. That the BBC. I've never seen that. You have never seen that. Had you seen that before, I have Susan? Never seen that. You remember my internet connection, yeah. right? I thought I thought you were going to say Monty, Monty, Monty. Uh, uh <laughs> Monty, Monty, Monty. No. no. Now for something completely different, or no. that too. Right? Yeah, I could do some uh, Monty Python in in there, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, but, but, but there are, uh, no, that's, that's from the BBC. They had this, uh, they have yeah. this, you have to go look this up. Okay. Write this down, Marianne, uh, write down Alan, 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 BBC, and you'll go right to the, to the site. And they, they have so a So is that Alan Titchmarsh that they're, that they're talking about? I, I think, no. no, I think it's just some no. generic Alan. The idea is a so, bunch of animals. Go ahead, Peggy. Yeah. I was going to say, so the BBC has a bunch of animals doing weird, or not weird things, but weird things. They voice them. But they have, they have voiceover on them, all of them. Yeah. They've got birds. They've got all sorts of things. And they're just, they're a stitch, as it were. They're hysterical. Alan! 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 Out! Alan! Why is that making me laugh so hard? <laughs> because it makes everybody laugh, okay? That, that because is, you're on the Mike Novak show. That's right. There you go. All right, let's go back can, can, to... Can we take a quick step back? Sure. For listeners who might not know what a garden rant is, what does it mean? What is it? Okay, okay so I'm going to, as I pop this up, uh, Susan, uh, you can give us that elevator speech. Uh, there is that uh, new, brand new, spanking brand new logo. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, that that shows that we don't we don't um, have flowers. We have tools because we are gardeners, and that's what it's about. Yeah, so we have a manifesto, and uh, we have opinions, uh, <laughs> and we don't always agree, <laughs> which is which is fine. Um, well, I would say we like I rant uh, often about over over generalization uh, about plants and about yeah. gardening practices that that don't that can sometimes do more harm than good or aren't as good, you know, it's easier to sell a slogan 
like uh, leave the leaves is a slogan that's easy to say, but uh -oh. much harder to in certain situations, <laughs> you can leave the leaves. <laughs> oh, I'm going to pop this back. Uh, oh, let's go back to uh, everybody here. Yeah, that's interesting that you should uh, say that because, that, yeah, that's one of the things we talk about. But you're right. Mm -hmm. One of the points you're making here is there is a thing called nuance. And <laughs> <laughs> in the world, there is a thing called nuance, and a lot of people don't pay attention to nuance. Certainly, uh, political arguments lack nuance uh, nowadays, no. and so do some of the gardening ones, don't they? It's hard to market in a, in a nuanced way. I mean, I, we all understand. But, yeah, so that's, that's, a, that's fun to do, uh, to, <laughs> to rant about. Uh, you know, we've, we've uh, uh, ranted about... Um, uh, PR campaign. Amy Stewart had a, a, a notorious uh, rant about um, a PR company that was producing all these, you know, lollipops, literally, and all this this non-green, um, uh, expensive uh, campaign and sending it to all the bloggers. So um, and that was Steppables. Wait, as wait, I, as I oh, lollipops. When you say lollipops, yeah. what do you mean? They actually sent us lollipops. Yeah. Um, oh, candy. In the shape of, of the, with the Steppables logo. Okay. Uh, wow. So she was trying to teach them how to better market to bloggers. Yeah. And I've been very critical of Scott's Miracle Grow. So uh, since it's spring, a good no. mentioned that. There's so much. So something that I've, uh, my, my, one of my favorite topics is to rail against high maintenance, um, high input lawn care, especially when we, you don't actually have to, to, uh, to do what Scott's tells. Uh, everyone on TV in the spring is to green up their lawn now, and that's, um, you know, that's not the best way to do it um, uh, in terms of uh, nutrient overflow in the bay and all of those issues. Um, so anyway, I recommend uh, people go to Cornell and um, and follow their. They have high maintenance lawn care advice if you need it, like if you're a golf course, mm -hmm. but low maintenance for most people. So, um, so I always love to throw that in the face of, of uh, Scott's Miracle Grow, and say no, just ignore them and do less. I think the the Cornell slogan is for lawn care: do less. Yeah, uh, and this is something I've railed about uh, for twenty something oh. years now. Good. Yeah. Good, good. Oh my and goodness. Yeah, we just got a comment. Scott's does nothing good. Wow, that's from and that's from one of uh, this guy who just wrote that works for a garden center. All right, all right, and he works for their competitor. No, uh, no, he doesn't. He's independent, and it's an independent garden center. And that's the other thing we tell people is uh, stop buying your plants at box stores. Okay, um, I sure you can make again if if we're going to argue in favor of nuance. Yeah, there there are times you might, but in general, I would say go buy your shovel, go buy your trowel at a box store. Fine with me. Um, your plants uh, and, and uh, getting getting your advice, go to a, your local independent garden center, and if you don't, they're going to go the way of bookstores. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't wait for Amazon to get into the uh, horticultural business. <laughs> well, it kind of is. They are. Mm -hmm. Are they sh shipping plants really? now, too? Yeah, you can yes. get plants. Well, see, I don't well, know. I well, don't use Amazon. It's, it's the vendors that have stores set up within Amazon. Well, then somebody ought to rant about that. 
because that's that's an issue as well. But but getting back to lawns, uh, as you say, you actually said this, and I use this in in a garden talk that I do, Susan, that uh, this is one of the, the some of the most damage. Uh, that any company has done is Scott's in telling people that they must have uh, fertilizer to green up their lawn in the spring. And what I say to people, hey, guess what lawns do in the spring? They green up. Uh, and they do it before you pound down 28% by by volume uh, fertilizer on your lawn. Um, and, of course, as we know, as you alluded to, most of that runs off into our lakes and streams, goes into Lake Erie in particular. Um, uh-huh. and we have- that, you know what? I just, I just wrote an article on this, actually, Mike, for uh, American Gardener, and some of it was on Garden Rant. We put a little excerpt on it. And what you're talking about, it creates the wrong conversation. So we have one extreme or the other where we have an incredible uh, push to to have these perfect lawns or the everybody else is saying, don't have a lawn at all. And no, it's a terrible thing. That's crazy. Right? And, and we want lawns. There's so many wonderful reasons to have them. So we need to have a different conversation, yep. which is that you don't have to do all this to your lawn to have a a wonderful open space. And there are a lot of organic methods that really do work that are very, very minimal and, and just keep you with that open space, that mass and void that we have to have in any landscape. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're just creating the wrong conversation. Right, and and folks uh, see these these pictures on TV uh, of the what is the perfect lawn, um, right. and the other problem here is when you talk about natural lawn care or organic lawn care, however you want to label it, and there's there there's a spectrum of care you can do for your lawn. Um, the problem is those people don't have the money to blast commercials on television and radio the way the big company normally or namely scotts does and so you don't hear that side of the argument all you hear is oh my god i'd better get my fertilizer out right now for my lawn because it's march and boy i better pound that into the ground because uh nothing's going to come up unless i do that and that's just a terrible message it's just a there's also a very large message from the HOAs, from the housing associations mm-hmm. that are pushing these sort of perfect lawns without weeds. And that is really right. tough on homeowners that don't know any different. Right. So I'm or curious, too, there seems to be a gender factor here. Mike, what do you think? This seems to appeal to men to have them uh, to be competitive about their perfect lawns. Yeah, and it's and it's and it's tied to uh when you see these commercials uh the idea of being a good neighbor. You can't be a good citizen or a good neighbor unless you have a perfect lawn. Otherwise, you're a, you're actually a bad person. If you have if there if there's if there's a dandelion, if there if for god forbid clover, which is a nitrogen fixer taking free nitrogen Yay. out of the air, putting it in the ground for free. Violets. <laughs> yeah, violets. Yeah, you can't have any of that. Peggy, you were going to say something then we're going to break here. No? Oh, you, you had something there. I'm sorry. I apologize. I, I had some brilliant word of wisdom that's gone. It's just completely <laughs> gone. Okay. Those are our gar- garden renters, Susan Harris and Marianne Wilburn. Uh, as we said, uh-oh, 
and I see something about jumping worms. There's a rant I, that was just posted. Yes. I would love to talk jump. Are you guys familiar with jumping worms? I am, yes. I am. I am. Susan isn't. Okay, you and I, Marianne, we can rant about that a little we'll, bit. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it on this, this rant and we'll come back. How did yet another harmful insect from a foreign country end up in the United States? <laughs> How did they end up in my backyard in Logan Square in the heart of Chicago is what I want to know. All right, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. At this time of year, we spend a lot of time indoors with our plants, so help them thrive. The plants you're viewing were treated with Leafzyme, a foliage spray designed to activate beneficial microbes already present on the leaves. A spritz every few weeks promotes growth-enhancing microorganisms that process dust and other particles into nutrition that indoor plants can absorb through their leaves for beautiful and vigorous growth. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. You can help slow climate change in 2021 by composting. And you don't even need a backyard. By composting communally in multi-unit buildings across Chicagoland, Collective Resource Compost has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. And Peggy, I'm going to let you handle this because I don't have it loaded up here and I haven't actually <laughs> read through it yet. So tell ah, us. Okay. Well, hey, the Evanston Environmental Association's virtual Wild and Scenic Film Festival continues on March 26th and you can be there from your home. The final evening's film lineup includes the story of how some Ethiopians are protecting the biodiversity of old growth woods via church forests one community's efforts to close the largest East Coast oil refinery after an explosion, and a glimpse of what it might actually look like for conservation to include all people, even those that normally are in the margins. Now, the festival takes place from 6.30 to 9 p.m. on March 26th, and tickets are still available starting at just $10. All proceeds from the festival support the operations and programming of the Evanston Ecology Center. So for more info and to register for the March 26th end to the film festival, Visit evanstonenvironment.org slash filmfest. Or as Bill Curtis would say, environment. 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 Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, and we're talking to Garden Ranters Susan Harris, Marianne Wilson. You can go to Garden, I'm sorry, Wilburn, not Wilson. E, we're talking to E.O. Wilson today on today's show. And. <laughs> How did he, how did he get, wow, it's such an honor to have you here. Wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, and we're ready to go. The house rant, will rant, burn. Rant, That's rant, how rant, I always rant. Right. Uh, and, and just as I was about to give out the website, uh, gardenrant.com, it's that simple. Um, I should mention there's a ton of stuff on there. You can, mm -hmm. if, if you like uh, going down rabbit holes, this is a great place. Uh, uh, Mary Ann, uh, Wilson's. Um, yeah. <laughs> As opposed to Marianne Williamson. Uh, yeah, well, I, okay. I don't mind it too much. Yeah, well, Marianne Wilburn's uh, rants. Uh, <laughs> MWs. Are, yeah, I guess. Um, are just, uh, uh, you know, that uh, thing you have going with Scott is really fun. Um, I have to admit, after reading that, now I want him on my show. And what we're going to do is I'm going to tell him, 
you get on the show and on camera, we'll we'll open the bottle and we'll just drink from the bottle. I think this is going to be what we're going to do at at nine a.m. And he's at the in it's in the same time zone. This is one of the other reasons I believe he is Cincinnati's in the no are they in the eastern? Maybe they, yeah, maybe they, they're in. Oh, that's okay, but he's not. No, 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 are they, no, they're. Are they in Central? I think hey, they're in just, Central. Mike, let me know when you do Ohio. this so I can be there to taunt um, him. <laughs> I just want to, if you could just let me know ahead of time. I oh, will dear. absolutely let you know ahead of time about that. <laughs> Everyone uh, can get their mimosas ready at that point. Uh, right. Uh, so let's <laughs> let's go quickly to the, and I, I want to get back to compost tea when we're, since we're talking about nuance. I saw that up there, and that was that. I had a flashback when I went to Garden Rant and saw the post about compost tea because I had this argument with people, and I have had it over the last decade about the efficacy of what, compost. What side are you on? I'm on the side of buyer beware. Okay, <laughs> uh, really? No, I, I, I tell folks at, at garden centers. First of all, you got to understand. If you buy a jug of brown water at a, a garden center, that's probably what you're buying, a jug of brown water. All right? Uh, I have friends who swear by compost tea mm-hmm. and say, I brew it myself and I apply it and you can see the results. Um, I started a, um, a, um, an organization called the Midwest Ecological Landscape Alliance uh, in Chicago. We had conferences where people would tout compost tea and they would show the photos and i would go well okay that i mean that's what jeff lowenfeld says you know i look at the photos and i look at the results and um it looks like it works to me um and then jeff gillum who is another guy i'm terrified of uh just as i am the two of you and uh especially uh uh <laughs> linda chalker scott uh i'm just terrified <laughs> i'm terrified of all of you uh, but, you know, Jeff Gillum comes back and says, no, I don't believe in it. Uh, I don't think it's working, and you might as well put compost down. And I actually went to an arborist convention, I want to say a decade ago, maybe not quite that long ago, at the Morton Arboretum here, and they did, they said, okay, here's the, here's, uh, the compost tea, here's putting compost done, and here's the, um, not the standard, but the, what's the baseline, you call it, the, um, in, in a scientific... Control, thank you. Control. control so here's a control in the science. Here's a compost tea. Here's compost. If you put compost down, yeah, look at the results. Here's the control and here's the compost tea. We don't see a lot of difference. Um, and I've seen things like that. So when people ask me about compost tea, I say, well, uh, I, used to, I used to advocate using it. And now I say, if you know what you're doing, Maybe you could try it and then write a paper on it and show us how it works. Maybe uh, in some applications. Uh, who knows? But for the most part, I say you're better off using compost uh, if you want to have that sort of biology in your soil. Um, would you disagree, Susan or Marianne? Oh, you know, I wouldn't disagree. <laughs> I wouldn't either. <laughs> and we uh, that, was, that was a special feature that we had um, – I think uh, when, when Garden Rant was really new, and it was fun to actually initiate um, a, a debate, and you know, on the topic. Yeah, yeah and uh, so I saw that I've been kind of going over. We had um, 
thousands of posts that we'd written over the 15 years and I found what were the ones that had the most impact and so I asked both of the Jeffs for an update on that and so far we've heard from Jeff Gilman and he, uh, he I thought his his response was very uh, interesting too talking about this the, the state of gardening information today and how he doesn't he'd like to see a stronger role for science-based information mm -hmm. of course we well, you know at well, again, this... I was gonna say for our listeners Jeff and Jeff are from the garden professors well, Jeff Gillum is from uh, the Garden Professors, okay. uh, and Jeff Lowenfels wrote Teeming with Microbes, which I will say, and Jeff agrees with me, Jeff Gillum agrees with me, uh, is if you want to learn about what's going on in your soil, pick up that book. It changed my life as a gardener. Uh, it's one of... <laughs> Really, it does. I mean, it, once you understand the concept of the soil food yeah. web, it just changes the way you deal with your garden completely. I mean, and that and that's and, part of Who wanted to jump in? Sorry. I was going to add a, a, one more thing with the compost tea. If it, it, I think that if it gets people excited in gardening, too, mm. there's that aspect of it. Like it, the novelty aspect of it, if it actually gets them building compost piles to create compost tea, you know, instead of buying it off the shelf, I, I don't even understand that, how you no. buy it off the shelf. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't buy, you, you know, I don't buy apple juice off the shelf. There's no goodness in it, uh. right? So I, I, I can't even imagine how you do that. But if it gets people composting and using that compost in different ways, you know, I, I don't think it's going to do a harm. But, I, I, you know. Well, it, and, and that seems to be... Uh, the the ultimate conclusion I come to uh, and others have is that it might not be doing any harm, but it seems to me a lot of work. So why wouldn't I just put compost <laughs> down? It, it does. I mean, getting the bubbler. I have a bubbler in my garage. I've used it once, I think, in in a, do, yeah. in a dozen years. Uh, and I'm a little embarrassed by it. But, you know, all of us buy stuff that that we try once and then discard. Put it uh, in it, the garage. Yeah, it's in the garage. Unfortunately, so I don't even know. I, I'm just trying to put forward some argument for the defense. I just feel it's not being represented. <laughs> well, so. it's probably I, not. <laughs> it it's not being represented well here. I have to admit that. Uh, and and. <laughs> And it's right, so, you know, what can I tell you? But but it's it's about nuance. Uh, and that was what and one of the things that Jeff wrote back, Jeff Gillum, and I, get, I keep forgetting there's two Jeffs here. There's too many Jeffs. Uh, Jeff wrote and go Jeff, to Jeff, Jeff. Go to, <laughs> go to uh, GardenRant.com and you can see the whole argument as it laid out. There's four uh, posts, I believe. Um and now I've forgotten exactly what I was going to... Oh, I, I remember. He said he's mellowed as the years have gone by. He says... Like compost tea. Yeah, like... like and, and he says that uh, uh, in the the old days, this would describe him... What a jerk. Okay, this is, uh, you know, what he... <laughs> oh, and, and now he says to himself... Don't be a jerk. Okay. Uh, uh, and, um, and by the way... Uh, and so, but but that's interesting because it basically he said uh, uh, I've mellowed a little bit. I'm not as harsh as I used to be about this whole thing, and I think that's a good way to go as long as you don't give up your scientific principles. And that's what he says. Also, it's like let's let's trust the science on this. And given what what has happened to us in the last four years, and in particular the last year, in regard to science and the way people respond to it, I think we as garden writers have an obligation to err 
on the side of science, uh, even though we're talking about gardening, where there have been home remedies and Ma said to do this, and, you know, I tell people, your mom's advice was wrong. What can I tell you? I'm very sorry about that. But um, it's, but there are home remedies that work, and they're based in some kind of science that goes back. So you have to research and do it right. Um, uh, Susan, I'd like you to address that a little bit, if, if you would. Well, it reminds me, I saw, I, I ranted about this. There was an article in my local paper by a city employee in charge of environmental um, stewardship um, proclaiming um, that native plants had deeper roots than um, than non-native ah, plants. Right. <laughs> and and he made a, so I and some others wrote a letter to um, to the to the city department um, saying, well, not according to science. And um, so we asked them just in the future, if they're writing about something to say according to, and then maybe go to like, we're, I live very close to the University of Maryland, and, which has a very good extension service and website. And then we've got, you know, Cornell and, and NC State and Penn State are all really great ones in this region. So I said, why don't you go to a good academic source and then see what they say and not just kind of um, make stuff up <laughs> because it sounds good. <laughs> and I love that article. And again, uh, it's one of the articles I forgot to mention in my blog post. But, yeah, you, you go after the idea that uh, – there are a lot of people out there saying things about native plants and how wonderful native plants are and are, are, are again, are kind of missing the mark. They're, they're not necessarily wrong about using pl those plants, but why they should use them uh, is kind of missing the mark. Context. It, it, yeah. Um, and, I, and, I, and I wish I could find that uh, right now, but um, it's a terrific post you made about that. I was happy to see that some uh, a local grower of native plants said he agreed with every word, and and because misinformation about about uh, native plants was was a problem for his business, because people had unrealistic or or wrong uh, expectations about how the plants they bought from him were going to perform. And uh, interesting, you should say that because we're in the middle of a battle, which I should actually write about. Uh, for for garden rant uh, in Chicago uh, about the notorious weed law, and there are many of these weed laws across the country where you can be fined for plants above a certain height in Chicago. It happens to be 10 inches, and that's sort of some kind of magic number that appeared decades ago, and then municipalities all over the country adopted it. Uh, try to find a native plant or any plant that is shorter than 10 inches. Uh, and yet the city can come to your house and they can issue a ticket and they can fine you 600 to $1,200 for growing a plant above that height or a weed. It's a weed. And their definition of a weed is a plant out of place. Uh, wow, that, that works in the legal oh, setting, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's, it, now the city council in Chicago has come up with what they call a nat they're, they're trying to do, The problem is they're trying to do a work around a very bad ordinance. The weed ordinance is very bad. So what's their workaround? Their workaround is, oh, we'll start a native plant registry, which you can sign up for. Your name will be on the list. And so when the inspectors come to town, they have to look at this list and see that you're on it. And if you're on it, then they won't fine you for growing those plants in your yard unless 
you don't have exactly a two or three foot setback, whichever they decide it's going to be, and unless whatever caveats, other caveats they have you in have the a, native plant register. Unless you, you've got plants that aren't on that list, whoever came up with the list. And Marianne, I see you going, what? And uh, I, have, I have so many thoughts and hardly the words to express them. Well, I honestly. think there's a rant right here. Mike needs to write a guest rant, Susan. Uh, Agreed. But, but Marianne, Agreed. What, what pops into your head? Well, I mean, first off, where there's no spontaneity. There is this absolutely crushes and smothers that creative spirit in the gardener. Um, you have to have you have to be on a list in order to have a certain plant in your yard at a certain height. Yep. I mean, I'd be breaking laws. I'd be breaking them to a second. I mean, there's just no way. And, and that kind of thing, it just takes away from the gardener's spirit and why we're out there and why we're working. And it, it makes it a bureaucratic administrative nightmare. I, I don't have enough contempt to, to aim at that. <laughs> Mike, please, please, Mike, take some time, write a rant for us, send it to Susan. Uh, I, I am definitely gonna gonna have to do that okay. now see the trowel and, has been thrown down right and this is <laughs> this is marianne's uh, uh response to the city shut up wesley okay there we go <laughs> yes. oh boy oh boy yeah it's i'm i've been in meetings uh i've kind of I have talked to some of the people who are putting this thing together. Oh, we, we sat through that town hall a couple of weeks there ago. There was a town hall about it, and th there was a lot of blowback from gardeners, and rightly so, uh, about this. There are so many holes in this, and, and the argument right now is that, well, we really can't, you know, streets and sanitation does the weed, uh, enforces the weed ordinance. Uh, and those guys aren't trained at all. They don't know the difference between an overgrown lawn and a native garden, which is why we need this uh, native plant registry. Um, there's just so much that can go wrong. I, I, what I see happening is Streets and Sands shows up. They go, oh, look at the weeds. Okay, and they write you up, and then you, you go to the administrative court, and you say, no, I'm on the list, but already you've had to go to the administrative court. You've spent the time, the energy, perhaps some money to defend your position. Uh, there's just so many ways it can go wrong. And as you say, Marianne, uh, it stifles the gardener. Uh, as somebody pointed out in the uh, town hall, you could grow a tulip, and it's going to be over 10 inches tall. And, in fact, legally, you don't even have the right to plant a tulip in your parkway. It's or, not native. It's, well, no, it has nothing to do with natives. It's more than 10 inches tall. You can't grow it in the park. You can't grow anything in the parkway, theoretically, without the city's permission because that is city-owned property. So this is a, a situation we have uh, where, I, you know, they could come and ticket me today. Right now, and uh, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. But then I, I want you, if you're doing that, I want you ticketing everybody who has a yew or a juniper, uh, any kind of foundation shrub. Might as well do that, too. Why don't we just ticket every house in the city, and then you guys can make a lot of money, and the city won't be starved for cash anymore. So yeah, I guess I kind of The road to hell is, is often paved with good intentions, and this yeah. is a really good example of that. Um, you, you just cannot, you can't legislate for good taste for one, you know, cause it's, it's different for everybody. 
And somebody, one person's wildflower meadow is another person's complete weedy mess. Yeah. And, and, and we, we need to realize that. I, I remember so clearly a friend of mine talking about coming into an HOA neighborhood nearby. And she was with her cousin. And the, she went into this gorgeous new home housing association. And one of the houses in the front had this beautiful, effusive sort of cottagey garden. And it stood in stark relief to all of those you and juniper and magenta azaleas. And she said, my God, the garden is so beautiful. And her cousin said, well, you know, I think there's something to be said for uh, uniformity in these, in these neighborhoods. <laughs> I mean, how do you do the people feel like that. Um, and, but the see, they are the ones who are going to do that legislation. They're the ones who are going to try and get you to not have that big bunch of biodiversity right there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Again, not enough contempt. <laughs> and you know what? I'm going to get myself in trouble here because I, as I said, I've been talking behind the scenes with some of the lawmakers about this and being very, very calm and saying, you know, you got some issues here. We ought to address these. And then I come on the radio and say, oh, this thing is just terrible. It's the worst thing ever. Oh, it's not going to work. So uh, we'll all see. Right. Uh, all right. Speaking Let of contempt, what about Martha Stewart? <laughs> Are you just... <laughs> Now I'm going to get in trouble, huh? Uh, okay, yeah. so I need to make something clear. <laughs> I don't actually have any contempt for my Martha Stewart herself. I think that she is brilliant at what she does. Uh, 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 taste just pouring out of every orifice in her body. She's a fantastic, uh, Martha fantastic Stewart. writer. Yep. Yeah, there, she, you know, she she's gets a good a thing. Yeah. Got it. My massive issue, and I had one, and you can go back and read about it in the, the new garden series that was done in the middle of a pandemic from her 153-acre garden, um, <laughs> where she was in lockdown with one of her drivers, one of her <laughs> housekeepers, and her head gardener, and she wanted to relate to the Poor rest thing. of us. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, she's, she's uh, doing her, uh, her FaceTiming with Snoop Dogg and Richard Gere and something Bieber, and whoever one else. of the Biebers. <laughs> and, and I, and you know what, I, I don't have a problem with it as a Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous piece because it's a beautiful estate. Um, some of the things that they're doing there are just gorgeous. But I refuse to see how having a granite pathway uh, being built to her peacock enclosure bears any resemblance to average gardeners and average lots. And, and this is important, during this pandemic, it's not mm -hmm. just about what's happening right now. It's about what is going to be happening economically. Mm -hmm. to people who have seen their dreams pulled away. And I have experienced that. We've had large layoffs. We've had recession. We've had um, tech busts that really set our dreams backwards 50 steps and through no fault of our own. And 
this is going to be very, very difficult for people to, to cope with mentally and to have something like that on television as the only G in HGTV is just, it's, it's wrong. So oh, I don't have any problem with Martha mark. Stewart. It's off target. It we misses, it, it, yeah. You know what my feeling yes. is, uh, don't, 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 uh, 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 direct your ire at uh martha directed at hgtv which yeah. gave up on yes. the on the g a decade ago and i i gave them up a long you know i don't even care anymore you're not you're not a guy and and these 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 transformation things makeover things are just so annoying just about as annoying <laughs> as you can get and susan you 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 wrote about it you didn't you didn't go after martha quite as much but but you did correct her on a couple of things uh, she got wrong well, well, isn't the title of this show, Martha Knows Best? And I just said, no, I don't think she does. <laughs> but um, no, I would, I, 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 my, uh, my approval was basically out of desperation to see some gardening content, especially this year of all years. So I was just so happy to see something. I wanted to support it, frankly. And I love, um, you know, watching her estate is like garden porn. We, and I, so I was, I, absolutely. I, I needed it. But you know what? You did say you pointed out something uh, very important because it's something I talk about in a I do a, a a garden talk called Everything You Know About Gardening Is Wrong, and it's and it's it's about myths, garden myths. And if you type in garden myth into a search engine, there are uh, 17 billion entries you will get. There are more garden myths than there are actual truths. Uh, well, I, I guess that makes sense. There, but uh, one of them is about pots and putting. Uh, uh, putting gravel in the bottom of a pot to uh, improve the drainage and it does exactly the opposite and you said that Martha did that on her show and it's a hard one to get out of people's heads they go no 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 you really should put uh, gravel at the bottom of the pot it's going to help but science physics tells you that that won't work well I'm curious to see what Marianne would say about this because I know she covered it in her book uh, about um, tropicals including how how to grow them in pots Right. Which I'm glad you said that because oh thank you so much because there we go there's the plug oh uh, there's the beautiful book tell and us about that and we'll get to have you back when the book's out <laughs> yeah hopefully at some point it's sitting in a port somewhere I don't know quite one which one at the moment but a friend in England has just received it so it's it's getting to the UK at least that's good and probably New Zealand and Australia right now oh and they'll um, love it yes this is. This is to try and help people who are looking at some tropical accents in other people's gardens and thinking, oh, wow, I want mm-hmm. I want a little piece yeah. of that. But I'm they feel really worried. Yeah, there's a uh, Ansetti there, uh, Ventricosum. That is the red, red Abyssinian banana, and, and uh, that Gesundheit. is one of the plants. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> they, that's more, uh, Ansetti ventricosa morellii. And a, and a lot of gardeners use it uh, to make some really bold accents. And mm-hmm. other gardeners who've never used tropicals come along and say, hey, hey. And you're saying use them, use, use them in your garden uh, during the season, but then you have to bring them in, uh, unlike uh, yeah. Scott did, and, and he left his poor canna out to die. He, in, left, in... he left his canna out to die. But he was actually playing into a lot of what I talk about in the book because you don't have to go all in with tropicals. Mm-hmm. And as I, and I keep going back to this, Irwin, uh, Irvin uh, Etienne says he's a big tropical plant enthusiast, closer to you guys. And he says it doesn't always have to be marriage and a picket fence. 
when it comes to plants, you know, and that is what this book is about. It's figuring out what your relationship is with certain groups of plants, how to cope with them. It gives detailed instructions on how to overwinter them as easily as possible. And you'd be surprised at how easy that actually can be. Um, and, and then if you're done, be done. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, throwing tropicals in is I've done that. I, you know, when you got a space in the garden, uh, oh, and if your, you don't your want six to, foot avocado tree. Uh, yeah, my six foot avocado tree or my uh, my uh, wild variegated ginger or the variegated ginger, tropical variegated ginger, which is a, my favorite plant in the world right now. Um, and uh, you find a spot, you go, just pop it in the garden for a while and then bring it in. That's it? Although you got to remember to bring yeah. it in. Yeah. So you can right. do, and you have a little more leeway than you think. But you're up in Chicago. A lot of people will think, "Oh gosh, we can't do it up here. It's it's too cold." That that's well, you're, not true. Are you saying year round you can leave some of those tropicals in? No, 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 okay. no. I mean, not in not in Chicago. Okay. Um, although you guys might be real zone close for Musa Basju, the hardy banana, which is theoretically <laughs> supposed to go to zone five. I think it's more like six. Hardy but banana. We'll see. Do you have it? Okay. Do you- uh, no, I don't. I just, I'm just doing my hardy You're going to get yourself in trouble very quickly. Uh, okay. I think that's it. It's time to wrap up the Yeah, hour. we got to wrap up. Uh, one thing before we go, because our, our next guest is sitting by very patiently. She's being, and she's smiling at me there in, in preview. Um, one of the things that you do, uh, Susan, is you write about White House gardens, and we don't have time to really go into it. You can go to GardenRant.com and read your, your posts about White House gardens. But the quick question is, did the Trumps screw up the Rose Garden, or is that just bad press? I think it's mainly bad press. Okay. Yes. But I have, I have pledged to go there the very first time that the Bidens open it for a, a, a spring or fall garden day, and I want to check it out in person and give it a chance to settle in because, you know, it was this brand new landscape installed in August, for Christ's sake. <laughs> so I wouldn't <laughs> I judge it right away. <laughs> great idea. August in, uh, in D.C. set up a, a new <laughs> landscape. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the time you want to do Brilliant. it. Uh, Susan Harris, uh, Marianne Wilson, Wilburn Williamson. <laughs> Um, it's MW. one of, uh, I got to change my name. I'm just going to change it. It'll I, make it I can't tell you how many times I had, as I was typing, I had to go back. It's, it's, it starts with a W something. Okay. Well, we, uh, okay. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, can we do this again at some point? Would that be okay with you guys? Uh, the garden rant 15th anniversary, go to gardenrant.com. You, like I said, you'll, you'll enjoy going down the rabbit hole, uh, and, uh, um, for the newsletter. And uh, you're going to be hearing from me, Susan. Um, I have uh, a couple of things I want to send you. So uh, be prepared. All right? All right. Always. All right. And, and if I can't get past you, I'll go to Marianne because uh, she's the sympathetic one, right? Very. <laughs> really? Uh, you, you caught that from my diatribe there? Yes, I am. Yeah, no, not really. Okay. Oh, All right. We'll see you guys later. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking water. Bye, guys. And, uh, and, uh, Uh, healthy water, clean water when we come back. The best thing about my job is the excitement of uh, waking up every morning just wondering what the challenges are going to be that day. So how do you like my office? We lead with safety. It's the first thing that I think about when I wake up. It's the last thing I think about when I go to bed. We've got a number of employees in the office, myself included, who've been been around for 10, 15 plus years. So 
people enjoy working for the company. Uh, staff retention is a thing that we're very, very keen on. It's no secret that the world of arboriculture is a male-dominated industry, but there is a fearless group of women out there that are determined to change that, and I'm really proud to be one of those women. At my office, I feel like you could take just about anyone, put a crew together, and send them out to a job and have it be successful. And that has to do with trusting the people you work with, feeling safe around them, and knowing their strengths and weaknesses. One of the proudest moments working uh, with Barlet for me was being the first to do training in a Spanish class. Bartlett is all about promoting from within. We really want to focus on our people and make sure that they're trained, make sure that they understand their role and you slowly grow through your experience and then you improve and, and move on to different roles within the company. There's always new positions, even at a base level, myself included. I started off as a climber and have worked my way through to being local manager in the office. Bartlett has been really great about recognizing any kind of roadblocks for different genders, different races, people of different nationalities, and just kind of taking a bulldozer to all of those roadblocks. Every tree needs a champion. 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 At this time of year, we spend a lot of time indoors with our plants, so help them thrive. The plants you're viewing were treated with Leafzyme, a foliage spray designed to activate beneficial microbes already present on the leaves. A spritz every few weeks promotes growth-enhancing microorganisms that process dust and other particles into nutrition that indoor plants can absorb through their leaves for beautiful and vigorous growth. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a soup-son of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root, and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn, serene. And welcome back to the show. And I realized that we, uh, we didn't ever get to the jumping worms issue, but... Oh well. Next time. Next time. Well, we'll we'll, we'll talk jumping worms at, at some point. I'll tell you what. Perhaps we can bring in uh, Elena uh, Harkness and uh, ask her if uh, you want to hey, comment. Elena. Do you want to comment on jumping worms? Hi, Mike. Uh, not jumping worms. I was going to comment on jumping puppies because we've given up on our garden. It was great to hear the garden chat, but uh, we've got a pandemic puppy that's ripping out our garden. So uh, I don't know anything oh, about jumping worms. This is Sorry. why. This is why I have a cat. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I would not make a, a, a good parent, and I would not, uh, and I, I couldn't even handle a dog, but a cat uh, is, uh, you know, you don't, you don't have to let it outside. You, you, it's got a box. It goes in there. You only have to clean it once, uh, ha- every half year, and, uh, and then uh, you move on. So, uh, but well, about that. Thank you. <laughs> 
you're back. It's great. And and as you notice this time, um, you're not lagging. Your um, your video is not <laughs> lagging behind your audio, which uh, <laughs> was so so uh, weird. Uh, you were on the very well, first show. The very first, yeah. Very first show we did on this platform uh, with this software. And we thank you for being our guinea pig back in September. <laughs> and we thank you for coming back. That, yeah, there we go. Uh, it's right on brand for current. We love to be out there in front, you know, helping to work out the kinks, figuring out how it all works, moving it forward. So Yeah. Well, uh, Elena is the executive director of Current, sometimes known as Current Water, uh, sometimes Current Innovation. Um, you, it's with with a name like current, there's a lot of different ways that people can go, and so you have to sort of define uh, who you are. So I'm going to give you a chance to do the elevator speech and tell us what current is all about. Sure. So current is a nonprofit water innovation hub that was launched here in Chicago uh, in 2016, and really what we were formed to do was help bring together the kinds of collaborations among utilities. Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago, the Department of Water Management, research universities, national labs, entrepreneurs and startups, investors, everybody with a stake in solving the big complex water problems that are going to help us meet our needs now and in the future. And so Current was really started to be that nimble nonprofit to bring all those stakeholders together um, and help push towards uh, faster and better solutions to water problems. There we go. Okay, that's all the time we have. Yep. Good night, everybody. Uh, but uh, no, you're doing a, a lot of uh, uh, your work. The you're working with a lot of different partners, mm -hmm. which is part of what makes your organization yeah. so great. Uh, and, and you look at universities and companies and organizations like uh, Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago, um, and that has been the uh, the goal. One or I guess that's not a goal, but a strategy of your company uh, uh, from the outset, isn't it? That's right. That's right. So by mission, by design, um, universities, utilities, corporations, everybody is trying to sort of meet, you know, the mission need that's right in front of them. Current exists to help find the really promising solutions at the gaps or in between where these collaborations can meet. So that's our whole job is to see where there's opportunity if two sectors work together or, you know, in some cases like the projects we're going to talk about today, um, it's really bringing everybody to the table. It's working with the utilities and, and small startups that have promising technologies to address water challenges. And we're the glue that holds that together uh, and helps to launch the kinds of demonstration projects that really can demonstrate the potential. Now, is your vision primarily the Chicago region or national, international, or anywhere? So it's a great question. So we think about Current's mission in sort of three parts. The first is to really help to grow what we think of as the blue economy here in Chicago in the state of Illinois. So we're the only water innovation hub in Illinois. And so mm -hmm. we're thinking a lot about what it means to create uh, opportunities in the broader water space to grow you know, career pathways, jobs, get kids excited about career opportunities in water beyond maybe some of the traditional ways of thinking about that. Um, and so for, for that, we're really thinking about helping companies uh, locally and startups locally. And when we think about the problems that we're trying to solve, you know, it's, it's companies here that are solving the world's water challenges, whether it's water mm -hmm. scarcity um, or overabundance. There's a lot of common issues that we're grappling with around the world, and uh, mm -hmm. the, the solutions we create right here can help to solve them. 
you you talked about the blue economy. Why don't why does that seem like such a a, a new phrase to me? I mean, per, perhaps in your line of work, you hear it a lot, but I don't hear it. It's not something that's been used uh, a lot in in the work. And Peggy and I have talked environmental issues for for years, for d- decades. Um, yep. Blue. The idea of a blue economy seems new to me. Yep. But green economy or green jobs probably mm-hmm. isn't unfamiliar. Right. To, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think the blue economy term, it started out really um, with folks working on ocean issues and trying to show that ocean and marine resources, uh, really, there's a whole bunch of specific industries that are about uh, maximizing and protecting marine resources, but also leveraging them to solve society's problems. So the blue economy term has started to be applied to freshwater economies, too. Um, obviously, uh, ocean and marine is most of the water uh, on, on the earth, but uh, freshwater for us here in the Great Lakes matters a great deal. And so the term blue economy for us is a way of putting a sharp point on uh, both the supply of water technology that's helping, you know, big companies that exist here in Chicago, food and beverage, manufacturing, help them meet their ESG goals of reducing water consumption. But it's also, it's the demand side too. Um, And so we're thinking about how to really make those, um, make those opportunities clear. And blue economy is kind of popping up as a way of showing the world's water needs are really increasing and the solutions are going to have start coming faster and so let's think about how to you know yeah. draw a circle around that center and of the that, economy and that ties right in with world water day which is march yes. 22nd tomorrow. which is tomorrow that's right. yeah world water that's day right. that's um, right yep yeah. and and one of the projects you're working on uh is something called h2 now chicago uh a first of its kind effort uh for real-time uh, testing of waterways for microbial pollution. I'm kind of surprised that that hasn't been done. And and, and we have a little bit, a, a little video here that you sent. And it's about 30 seconds long. And you can talk uh, over it while we're doing this. I can even I can even freeze it if you want to show certain things. But this is kind of uh, what's going. What are we seeing here? Yeah, so this is a great example of what I mean when I say we're putting together projects that no one company or utility could tackle alone. So H2 Now Chicago, what you see here is our uh, terrific sampling team, and we're out actually putting some, uh, this is the sampling in the south branch of the Chicago River, so we're collecting uh, samples of river water, and we are. This right here is the Proteus probe, uh, and this is a company out of the UK that makes these novel uh, probe technologies uh-huh. um, that help us measure what's in the water. Uh, so, we're, what we're basically doing out here as a team is testing to see how accurate the readings are, what's in the river versus what we predict um, through the probes, because eventually what we're hoping we'll have is a permanent installation of these probes that give us a permanent flow of real-time data about the fluctuating quality of the Chicago River, which is of interest to, you know, really all Chicagoans for different reasons. Well, for different reasons, one of which is that uh, folks want to be able, I can even keep this here and put that in the corner there uh it just sort of loops here but uh we'll do that for just a little bit um it's of of interest well let's look at what happened the other day the surprisingly out of out of nowhere uh the city decides we're going to uh put green dye in the chicago river and out of the blue uh the out of the blue economy 
it suddenly became controversial in a way that it never has before. Uh, people, especially uh, when people copycatted it. Yeah, and they on the north branch of the Chicago River, uh, and then Friends of the River came out and said, "Hey, uh, we we need to reexamine this uh, tradition in Chicago because uh, there are fish there now." There didn't used to be fish, and this is part of what you guys are all about is let's test the water. Let's show folks, you know, you're not showing fish species. You're looking at biology in in the river, but it's all connected, isn't it? It's all connected. It's all connected, and um, we, you know, support – Friends came out and put out a really good kind of statement about this and some of the underlying um, concerns with dying the river. You know, my my personal position is not a current position. It's just – there's a lot going on in the river already, so adding to that is not um, necessarily helpful, but that's the kind of thing we're trying to track with H2 now. Uh, conditions fluctuate in the river for all sorts of reasons. Uh, increased rainfall is uh, a big one here in the city, and and as climate projections are sort of modeling out our future, those extreme rain events are likely to get more frequent and more intense. So understanding what the impact is on aquatic communities and on the overall health of the river that has become such a tremendous economic development asset for the city um, in recent years with investments along the Riverwalk. Um, and, you know, we hope to be able to extend that for recreation and um, public health use, you know, um, this is just something we need to know about. Um, and I think part of the real interest in, in real-time data is to help understand and track that in closer to real-time. Uh, I, I go to your website, and, if you, and I've got the links here at MikeNovak.net uh, and this week's blog post. Uh, if you go to uh, CurrentWater.org, and, uh, and you could actually just go to h 2 uh, the numeral two h two now chicago dot org and you can mm-hmm. see the h two now chicago waterway monitoring page um, and you 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 state there on the page that you've got north branch main stem and south branch monitoring coming in spring twenty one have you has it had they launched yet uh is the website up to date because I click on for instance I click on the north branch water quality page mm-hmm. it says and, coming. And it says, well, yeah. it says coming, but it also says there was a reading in nine nine twenty nineteen. So that was the right. last that. So you uh, haven't, you don't have anything in real time at the moment, I imagine. Well, so I can I can explain a little bit of this in the context that I think people will recognize. The pandemic slowed down this project quite a bit because we had to stop. Mm-hmm. You saw that video. We're out in the field yeah. now. We've got sort of socially distanced, uh, safe sampling protocol. But um, there's a lot of work to do to make sure we're confident in the data that we're putting out to the public. And so we have the data, um, the real time data streaming. Um, and when the sensors are installed in the river, we're able to see, but we're working with a large group of partners, Metropolitan Water Reclamation District, without whom this project would not be possible because they help us, you know, do everything from install the probes to interpret the results. We have a scientific leadership committee comprised of our partners at the UFC, Northwestern, UIUC, UIC. All of them are helping us and Argonne National Lab. They're helping us to understand and interpret uh, what the data are telling us because it's not straightforward. There's lots of projects to try to monitor water quality. That's not novel, but what's novel about this project is uh, a particular kind of estimation that we're doing that's trying to tell us um, exactly sort of what's in the river. It's a particular uh, fecal coliform level that we're looking to understand. So they're helping us make sure that what we get is right and that what we're communicating yeah. to the public is right. You said the data is not straightforward. I'm kind of, that, that, I'm, my, uh, my ears perked up uh, when you, when you said yeah. that. What do you mean by that? 
Yeah. So if you imagine, you know, sort of a red light, yellow light, green light, like is today a good day to use the river or not? I mean, there's a lot of desire to have something you know, like that, that's really clear and simple. Um, and actually, the number of variables of what's in the river are complex and changing all the time. And they don't necessarily mean, uh, they don't necessarily lead to a result that's clear, right? So it could and be... Which point in the river as well? You know, exactly. Where is the sample Slow being taken? Where's the sample being taken? So the biggest thing with water quality monitoring is just all the variables. Where yeah. we're in the river, low rates changing, all of those things. Is there an outfall point nearby? Um, mm -hmm. So it's a really complex endeavor. Uh, and we're trying to sort through um, all of those different variables to understand what's meaningful to the public and what would the public be interested in. If you want to dive deep, there's you know, a lot of information and we'd love to make that available to people who are really interested in, in getting into the, the weeds. Um, <laughs> but for most people, they just want to know, is it a good day to kayak or not? Yeah. Right, exactly. That was the point I was yeah. going to make is that people don't like nuance. We talked about that in the first hour. Um, yeah. And they want to know, can I swim in the river? Can I fish in the river? Is it is it safe to kayak in the river? And I can tell you, I did a uh, – back for the show, we did a, um, a canoe uh, trip uh, from the Addison launch site downtown for uh, Leinenkugel that did this thing that and must I have did been, what eight years ago yeah. Seven yep, years yes ago? eight or nine years ago um it's at the time it you know it it seemed the river seemed a little iffy uh to to be in but it was already improving as you say it's improved over over the last couple of decades uh but you can't really answer so are, are okay let me ask it this way are you prepared to make statements that uh, are less nuanced to help people who can't handle that sort of thing. So we're, we're trying to understand now with our partners, how much nuance and like in which audiences, you know, mm -hmm. we'll be sharing which information. That's exactly what we're working toward right now. We don't yeah. want to be putting out information that, you know, so you don't want to put out information that people are going to interpret as the wrong set of decision points, right? You don't right. want to put out you don't want to put out information that people go, oh, it's a yellow day. Like, I don't want to kayak. It might be yeah. totally fine to kayak that day. So we're really trying to figure out what's the level of nuance that matters. Ultimately, what we want this to do is drive awareness about the fluctuating quality of the river, which is, in general, trending in the right direction, right? So seeing that and being part of that change, we hope this will mobilize people to care about river stewardship in, you know, ways that uh, might counteract some of the narratives. If you've grown up near a particularly polluted part of the Chicago River, you know, you could be avoiding it, telling your kids to avoid it. And really, like, the truth of it is that conditions are improving. So we yeah. just want to use, you know, as much of as much uh, quality data as we can to sort of get people aware, one, that in many places it's it's better than you might think, two, that it's changing, and three, that there's something that you can do, many things that you can do to help improve it, keep that continuum going, you know? And, uh, uh, and of course, uh, you can volunteer for various organizations uh, uh, like Friends of the Chicago River. Um, and, uh, and, 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 of course, you're not the only one. As you say, you have many partners working in this. I mentioned the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago, Chicago Department of Water Management, Northwestern University, University of Chicago, Exelon, World Business Chicago, or just a, a few of the people you're, you're working with here. Uh, so they're all going to be part of this as well. One of the things uh, you're doing uh, in honor of World 
uh, happy water. World, World Water, Water Day. Day, yeah, World Water Day, and Happy World Water Day tomorrow to, to everybody. Yeah, yeah. Happy, it, I know. Let's make it Happy World Water Day. I was looking at my headline. Uh, is a, yeah, there you go. Well, I don't. I I've got my coffee. Um, it's is, got water in it. You're going to be part of an open house tomorrow, 2021 World Water Day Great Lakes Open House. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, we're, we're really looking forward to this. Uh, Mazarine Ventures, one of our uh, partners and strategic advisors, put this together to highlight uh, innovation hubs and pilot projects that are going on all around the Great Lakes region. So we'll have you know participation from our friends in Ohio and all, all around the Great Lakes region, which we're really, we're really excited about. So that'll, if you're interested in this idea of um, collaborative kind of hub-based problem solving in water, you're going to hear a lot of great examples from that tomorrow at the Mazarine event. So I uh, hope you'll join us. And of course, Current also, um, since the pandemic, we've really increased our uh, virtual convening. We have a really robust uh, set of virtual events, so you can always check those out. <laughs> on youtube and um there's a lot to learn um and anybody can attend this you don't have to uh be a mover and a shaker nope totally open to the public and registrations available online. and and by the way the registration is available uh you can click onto that link go to my blog again at mikenovak.net go all the way to scroll all the way to the bottom and it says you can register here uh and uh if you want to be part of that webinar um they're going to talk about uh, as the, in the description, um, they write, instead of PowerPoints or pitches, a 60-minute tour will offer attendees a thumbnail of the region's heft in or technology innovations that address water and wastewater challenges in agriculture, conservation, buildings, industry, and utilities. Uh, the participants, including Elena, she's going to be one of the speakers, will spotlight the region's innovation ecosystem spanning Testbed pilot, demo programs, corporate innovation, broader innovation ecosystem, uh, including universities, startups, nonprofits, and talent. And I imagine yep. a lot of talent is involved in that. Yep. What are uh, what's business doing? I mean, obviously, uh, you expect universities and and agencies like uh, MWRD and the, the Water Department to to be working on the issues. But what are we getting from businesses? Yeah, so a couple of things. Number one, as you heard in the Mazarin description, that really, those are the pieces in the building blocks of the blue economy. And so for businesses in our region, some of them, like Greeley and Hansen, who's been a founder of Current and a you know anchor kind of corporate partner for us for a long time, they are clearly in the water business. You know, they're doing water engineering. There's companies that are sort of building, you know, the pipes, the technologies, the controls that we use to get clean uh, drinking water and to you know clean our our storm and wastewater, but then there's all the companies in food and beverage, in manufacturing, you know, in these water intensive industries that are trying to think about how to reduce their water footprint at a time when you know we know that that is a a growing need. So those are the companies that we think of as on the demand side of the blue economy, mm -hmm. and we're looking to work with them to actually help find um, you know match our startups and entrepreneurs that have great ideas, match them with big you know industrial partners that need to find those solutions. We're really trying to make that match happen faster, you know, get the innovative solutions on the radar of uh, corporates that need to use them to make their water, like lessen the water impact of their businesses quite frequently. Uh, before we go here, um, 
the urgent needs that you guys list are obviously water quality, and that's that's what we've been sort of focused on here is water quality, and and obviously in terms of the Chicago River, uh, does that include Lake Michigan, or or is it more of a focus on the river, Elena? So we're certainly interested in the quality of Lake Michigan. We have been working with partners at the Great Lakes Observing System, uh, which is actually also really worth checking out. It's a network of partners that are all thinking about, you know, technologies to manage changing conditions in the lake. It's a, it's a really different from a technology perspective. It's really different than river monitoring for some of the reasons we talked about changing flow rates, bigger body of water, you know, concentration, all those things. But um, our partners at Gloss um, and the Smart Great Lakes Observing uh, Alliance are really uh, helping us to work through that. But some of the other issues in the region that we are really um, concerned with and have a number of great partners working on include uh, the this rising rainfall, rising lake levels, things that contribute to flooding um, yeah. that are affecting, you know, basements on the south and west sides of Chicago quite often and places where, you know, we really want to make sure we're not adding disproportionate burden to communities that are already, you know, suffering from a range of economic and public health and other effects. So um, the the urban flooding issue is something that our partners at uh, Center for Neighborhood Technology, the Metropolitan Planning Council, Nature Conservancy, um, everybody's sort of thinking about better ways to manage our rainwater and stormwater. Because for us in this region, you know, that's one of the primary ways that we're going to be feeling the effects of climate change. Well, when you get the uh, H2Now Chicago up and running in real time, you, you've got to let us know because I want to see those numbers. And, and I think I think obviously we're not the only people interested in the numbers. Yeah. There's a lot of organizations that want to see what's going on. Um, when do you see that happening? How soon? Well, I mean, we're on the pandemic calendar in a lot of ways, waiting for sort of CDC guidance about, you know, how how soon we can be back out at the level we need to be. Um, but we're hoping to have something we can share with the public this summer. And that's kind of our aggressive ambition. Ooh, I like that. Uh, yeah. And then yeah, maybe you can walk us through the data at that point, too. That's right. Yeah, we'd love to come back and do that. Yeah. Okay. Elena Harkness um, from Current water.org you can go there for more information about what they're doing she's the executive director and guess what we got through this and now we don't have to wait for your video to catch up to the audio which is really good (laughs) we're very we're very happy about that so you got through the the guinea pig part and now you were um uh, in in the part where uh, things run smoothly so uh we'd love to have you back again to talk more about this Excellent. Well, congratulations on getting to this place, and always a pleasure to talk. <laughs> All right, thanks, thanks so much, Elena. Oh, and by the way, folks, uh, if you want to uh, be part of that webinar, twenty twenty one World Water Day Great Lakes Open House. Again, go to uh, my website, uh, scroll all the way down to the uh, blog, uh, the end of the blog post, and there's a link there, and you can you can be part of it uh, as well. Uh, thanks, Elena. We will talk to you. I hope very soon. Sounds good. Take care. Thanks. Bye bye. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, do we have any? Yes, we have Rick. Rick's waiting. Oh, okay. Let's do it. We'll be right back. You have the ability to give your soil a superpower. It's called composting. If you don't have a backyard, you need to contact Collective Resource Compost. CRC has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. They bring you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter from your kitchen, they swap it out and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. 
Hello from Happy Leaf. This is BJ Miller, the horticulturist here on staff. The best way we can help you be successful with indoor gardening is to provide you with a really great grow light. There are a lot of choices on the market and it can be extremely confusing to decide what you need. Our goal here at Happy Leaf is to provide you with a light that lasts a very long time and makes your plants really happy. We have several satisfied customers, including our friends Mike Novak and Peggy Malecki, because we have specifically designed a light that is versatile, it's very effective, and it is extremely simple to use. Our lights are perfect for seed starting, but you can do so much more, especially these months of the winter. You can supply yourself with your own leafy greens and herbs, grow lots of different types of vegetables, keep your small fruit trees thriving, and your houseplants will think you've sent them for a day at the spa. small boat fishermen to your dinner table with safe free no contact delivery sitka salmon shares brings premium wild alaska seafood to your door they're a community supported fishery offering shares just like your local csa all fish is wild caught in season with respect for the limits of the ocean line caught and traceable to their fleet use promo code novak 25 for 25 dollars off the first month of a share go to sitkasalmonshares.com slash n-o-w-a-k the Evanston Environmental Environmental Association. Boy, after I don't know what I'm going to do after the 26th because uh, <laughs> I won't be able to say that word anymore. Oh, we'll uh, find another way. It's their virtual wild and scenic film festival, and it continues on March 26th. You can be there from your home. The final evening's film lineup includes the story of how some Ethiopians are protecting the biodiversity of old-growth woods via church forests. That sounds like an interesting concept. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, when Kathleen and I used to drive through the old growth forest in, along Highway 101 in in Washington State, Washington. when we had our home there, uh, we we called it the Cathedral of the Gods. Um, mm, that was our yeah. our nickname for it, and uh, it's what it looks like. And so, this is a way to protect old growth. Um, there's one community's efforts to close the largest East Coast oil refinery after an explosion and a glimpse of what it might look like for conservation to include all people, even those that normally are in the margins. This festival takes place from 6.30 to 9 p.m. on March 26th, and tickets are available starting at just $10. All proceeds from the festival supporting the operations and programming of the Evanston Ecology they support the operations and programming of the Evanston Ecology Center. For more information and to register, visit evanstonenvironment.org slash filmfest. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Let's bring in that meteorologist guy, Rick DeMaio. Hey, good morning and uh, happy hey, spring. Um, hi, Peg. Hi, Mike. In that order. Uh, yeah, happy spring, but... <laughs> Woo-hoo. You know, you know, around, you know, around here, we're only on the SPRI. The NG still is like the last two weeks of March and the first two weeks of April. But and it um, kind of depends if you're close to the lake or away from the lake, or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and yesterday, Peg and I both felt that lake breeze kick in. Uh, this morning, not as much. Uh, the next few days, probably not at all. So we'll go in that kind of uh, level as we typically do. Uh-oh. He's in the wrong room. Rick, you're in the wrong room. 
Oh, and I and I thought about that while he was there. I thought he's in the wrong room. It's not close enough to the router. To the it's, router. It's see, or he could go to like uh, Marianne Wilburn did and go to a friend next door who has a, a strong. Right, turn your video off. Right. Um, uh, we'll just uh, uh, we can pop. I'll text him. Okay, let him know. There he is. Uh, as soon as he gets back to uh, audio. Um, uh, while we're here, I can talk jumping worms for just a second for those of uh, you like Ernest Renard who wants to know what a jumping worm. Uh, they're uh, native to East Asia, uh, and they, uh, they, they got here all uh, – I'm on the University of Ma- uh, Wisconsin-Madison site in honor of Rick DeMaio. Um, the jumping worm was found in – oh, there he is. Hold on. Let's, uh, let's go back to Rick. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what happened there. Everything was working fine. Uh, we'll we'll see if it if it if it jumps again, uh, you might have to go back to the other room. It's just I just think your connection there is not as strong as it is in the other part of the house. But let's. Uh... I'm, I'm I'm in the I'm in that other room right now. Though. Oh, you're or maybe in turn your video off if that oh, happens. Uh, okay, all right. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely do that. Yeah, when I start to see myself not moving around, then it's time to turn the video. <laughs> I was and I was about to explain. I was about to explain what jumping worms are, but I'll, I'll do it at the end of the show when yeah. we're done with you. Uh, you know, all the things that we learn um, during the pandemic and Zoom sessions and stuff like this uh, can be summarized by what happened Wednesday night during my Loyola class when um, everybody was doing their presentations on climate change in the uh, national parks, and this one group who was kind of going a little bit long in their discussion about the Rocky Mountains and the pine beetle um, and the fact that uh, the devastation of the trees led to an increase in wildfires. So what I, what I do is, and I've talked about this before, is it's one thing to uh, teach climate change. It's another thing to try to get the kids engaged in you know, weather and climate change. But it's another one you give them a project and it's basically their park for about two months and they do all the research on the climate of the state, the climate of the park, uh, climate change in the state, climate change in the park, uh, recent climactic events. And then they look at what are the adaptation and mitigation uh, attempts, policies, whatever you want to call them, from both the state and the park. And then they also talk about, in the end, the five things that they've learned. And we had parks this past winter or this past Wednesday, um, Denali, uh, Glacier, uh, Grand Teton, Yellowstone, uh, Yosemite, Redwood, um, Joshua Tree. Um, I'm trying to think of the Zion, Everglades, Rocky Mountain Park. And the kids were talking a little bit too long. That's what happens when you get comfortable with a Zoom session. And then all of a sudden, one student out of the blue just blurts out, Shut the F up already. And he didn't use the letter F. He used the whole word. Wow. And little little did he realize that he was unmuted. (laughs) So everybody (laughs) heard it. Everybody heard it. And then on top of that, you know, when you say stuff like that in the Zoom session, it's kind of like, remember Hollywood Squares? When you talk, like the big square becomes illuminated. Uh Yeah. Well, his square became illuminated. <laughs> and he showed up in speaker view. Oh, no. And he showed up in speaker view. Now, he had his video off, but he was unmuted. So not only did we hear what he said, um, but we saw who said it. And the great thing about, 
the great thing about Zoom sessions is they are recorded. And in addition to that, you have an audio track that is also put into uh, <laughs> the file. So, yeah, so um, that was about as unpleasant of a situation for him as there was possible. So he quickly sent me an email at the end of class saying that was unprofessional, blah, blah, blah. And I, I let him off the hook. I go, don't worry about it. I was probably yapping too much. I deserved it. And I don't think it was directed at me. It was directed at the girl who was just talking a little bit too much. Um, on but, a, on uh, the yeah. other hand, on the other hand. <laughs> yeah. And all that stuff now. See, that's the thing with Zoom and all the stuff that's now live and recorded and sitting on the cloud. More things in that permanent record we were always warned about. You know, oh, it's yeah. like it, it, yeah. it's now recorded. You can't get rid of it. It's somewhere. Right. Yeah. So so five years from now, Peg and Mike, when I'm when I'm I'm trying to become part of this, you know, big non for profit group here in Evanston, they'll go, Well, we heard you once say on a Zoom session back in twenty twenty one and we got it on tape and we have it on uh, basically an audio text. So yeah, you gotta be careful about what you say and well, even what and, you think you want to say. Right. And 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 a hundred years from now that signal will be reaching another uh, star system. And somebody will see the shut the f yeah. up from Earth. Yeah. Wow, they're host, uh, hostile people. We yeah. must not go they're there. Guys from planet Earth, right? Um, <laughs> anyway, right. but yeah, you know what? Um, it, it's amazing, and I and I know Peg, you've probably seen this. You know, the snowdrops, the crocuses, uh, the mm-hmm. daffodils. Probably by this time next week will be in full bloom. Uh, partly because over the next two or three nights, we're going to be increasingly warmer. So I think last night we made it down about thirty-five. The night before. Um, by 25, that was a lot of frost yesterday morning. Yeah. And that's, that's that typical lake breeze comes in. You get that layer of moisture. It settles. You cool off. Boom, you get frost. Um, this morning, 35. Tomorrow, maybe 45. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Tuesday morning, maybe 50 for an overnight low. So wow. this is when you really begin to see, you know, you're, you're, you're growing. Yeah, the humidity and the overnight low temperatures, the warm nights is what really gets things going. Um, and even though we'll get, you know, some decent rain and wind around here on Tuesday, uh, there's really nothing in the way of any significant cold coming at us um, anytime soon. So um, things look pretty nice, you know, typical for this time of the year. But definitely uh, we've been running a surplus of nearly seven, I think about six degrees above normal for the month of March, which is remarkable considering how cold we were for the month of February. Well, the, and the only thing that can ruin it, of course, is uh, even if it stays a little bit warm, if if we get those crazy rains like we've had in the past couple of years. Yeah, I don't, you know, and I don't see that happening with the way that this La Nina pattern. Uh-oh. There's the La Nina, and uh, the La Nina, and, and nobody the said. The jumping worms like the La Nina. Nobody said shut the f up either okay uh on the and and he did there there he is so let's uh let's pop this in i was i was actually here trying to um get my uh my crocuses up uh, because i uh um i had a photo and since he was mentioning and and it's not like they're just going to start now the crocuses have Hmm. been blooming for couple of weeks now um yeah and if i pop yeah, that my in, snowdrops have it my trillium are starting to come up i've got uh, so many different things coming up so it's yeah. not you know maybe it's uh his neck of the woods maybe it's a little slower near the lake well it's but yeah, for me it's a little colder near the lake um a lot of the my a lot of the early daffodils have have buds like rick was saying should be blooming next week 
Yeah. So uh, let me go to, hold on a second. If you give me just two seconds, I can get this, and I'll show you what's going on in my yard. There we are. There's the 321. Let's load the crocuses. Boom. I wasn't ready. I wasn't going to do this, but then when he mentioned it, I thought, okay, here we go. And here are uh, the crocuses. I'll bring these Ooh, guys up. pretty. This, this is a, yeah, there's a bunch of patches. How nice. In the and backyard. I see you've got some uh, strawberries in the uh, foreground, too. Yeah, they, you know what? I, I, I leave them now. Um, I don't really get strawberry production out of them. No. Um, just not enough sun. And when we do get strawberries, unless we cage them, uh, the critters will get to them uh, at, at yeah, some well, point. Well, that's who they're for. <laughs> yeah, except when you look at the uh, Environmental Working Group's uh, Dirty Dozen list. Did you get a copy of that in the email this uh, week? No, No, I seem to actually be off that email. Wow. Okay. But, <laughs> I'm not uh, getting that newsletter. Shh, as, always, as always, um, uh, strawberries are at the top of the list. Uh, yeah. the, and of uh, the dirty dozen, meaning the well, ones that have, that, that have, store. yeah, commercial strawberries. Uh, I suppose, you know, if you buy organic strawberries, uh, and, and, uh, you won't, you won't have that issue, but yeah, but mm-hmm. you know, what are people buying? They go to the grocery store, they see the, the clamshell with the strawberries in them. They're picking yeah. that up and that is the worst. Go to the big box. And, yeah. Right. So what, those, well, those strawberries are, what's the name of those again? I forgot. Which ones, ones? in your yard? Oh, uh, Marshall, Marshall, oh. Marshall, strawberries. and, uh, yes. and Rick is, uh, he's back. <laughs> he's back. And there's my front. <laughs> okay. Well, we were just talking about strawberries and crocus and looking at Mike's. Right. And, and, and let me show this again. I'll pop this up because while you were gone, I, I put this in here and these oh, are the, wow. cro- these are the crocuses in my backyard. Isn't that pretty. Wow. That is really remarkable, and those are all things that you planted like last year, right? <laughs> no, this is like this is like fifteen yeah. years worth of work, and then they start all popping up. And uh, I got them all over the lawn. I, I put them in the lawn too because I figure I'm not walking out there at this time of year. So uh, yeah, this is That's a good beautiful. place. I, of, yeah. I've seen a couple homes just as I'm out for a walk with the uh, the aconites, the yellow, popping up all over the place. I don't have any of those, but those look so nice as well. Yeah, it's a little teeny. So what the point I was making, Rick, is that my crocuses have been going for two weeks, and I'm yeah. gonna. I probably will have daffodils bloom today. I was looking at them yesterday; mm. they're so close. I think that yep. I'm gonna pop yep. some daffodils today. Yeah. So the weather's been great, week. especially out front on our southern exposure. There's been plenty of sun. Uh, it's just gotten a little bit warmer with each day. And and, uh, and out on the parkway where you're not supposed to plant, right? Exactly, where I will get a ticket, a $600 ticket from the city of Chicago. I, you know what I say? Bring it on. Come on. Bring it on. <laughs> really? You're not allowed to plant in the parkways? Theoretically. You're, uh, the parkway is city property, and you, you n- nobody enforces it. They do not enforce it. But theoretically, you need to get a permit to plant anything in your parkway except for lawn. So, you know. Well, Certainly, good thing not... I didn't know that when I lived in the city for 15 years. <laughs> well, I do it anyway, uh, and most and, and a lot of people do, and and they don't come after you unless they think they're weeds. Um, I mean, if you come to my front parkway in about two weeks, it's going to be a riot of blooms, and I've had people 
who walk by and they stop and they say, Oh, we love walking you. past your garden. Yeah. Right. And, and so I, that's why I want this, you know, if the city's going to come after me, I'm going to bring these people to court with me. Yeah, so uh, I, don't, I don't get that at all. Be careful um, what you ask for. I know. No, I know. I'm poking the bear and I'll be careful about it. I'll just shut up at this point. All right. So, I will, so back um, to the I know that, Yeah. So I, I know that we were talking about, um, how to engage students in understanding more about climate change. And it, it really is remarkable to me that you can get kids who have never been, you know, west of the Mississippi River, all of a sudden go, wow, I didn't know that about Rocky Mountain National Park. And I didn't know that about Glacier National Park. And I didn't know that about, you know, Olympic National Park. And what they do on top of learning about the climate is they also learn what sort of economic engine national parks are to the state and the surrounding communities. So one of the things that they have to do is they have to look at it not just one year, but like a five-year trend and see what happens when your national parks are either shut down because of either A, a pandemic, which everybody is, um, or B, shut down because of wildfires or the roads leading into those areas um, shut down because of needing to fight wildfires nearby, or glacial melt. Uh, we've had a couple of years in the past where we've had too much rain in Olympic National Park, and you have this glacial melt or a mud flow that basically knocks out one of the roads um, or, the, or the bridges. And, Mike, you know that road that leads into Olympic National Park. It's like one road, and that's mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Quinault Lodge. Is that the one I'm referring to? Well, there? that's that's there's that's along the Quinault, uh, uh, Lake Quinault, uh, the Quinault Lodge there. And and yeah, those things happen where you can you can get uh, mostly what happens is that trees fall and you right. get a, you got a lot of rain and then the and it's a little mm -hmm. bit of wind and then you'll have a tree just flip, flop over the road and then right. you got to wait till somebody shows up with a chainsaw. Right. So, so what, what these kids are doing, because I'm, I'm teaching mainly non-science, you know, students, is they learn more about the economics, and then they learn about, you know, the policy, because most of the land in Wyoming is federal. So this is one of those things that it, it, it engages them and it makes them understand that the National Park um, is not, you know, it, it's not a theme park, but yet it's a park that, you know, basically connects people from other parts of the United States with their local community. And that's really one of the ways that you'll get people shop and, and go to these restaurants and stay in the hotels. It's not going to be the locals. It's going to be the people who are visiting the park. And as soon as you start to see pictures of, you know, 30,000 foot plumes of smoke coming out of Yosemite, you go, maybe not this year. So the more that the students understand that, that it's not just about keeping the park um, healthy and sustainable, it's more of an economic engine as well. And I take pride every year in, in making sure that I can check off, you know, a couple of students that go, wow, I got it. Wow, I got it. Wow, I got it. Some will do it because I have to do it. Um, and I, 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 I'm still trying to figure out how to do that more around here um, with, you know, forest preserves and, you know, thinking about what it takes to maintain a golf course. You know, Mike, when we saw your friend up there at the um, uh, North golf Shore. course. North Shore Country, Country yeah. Club. Yeah. Dan, Dan Danelli, who just does a fabulous job and, you know, he's growing uh, uh, native plants and he's using compost and just being as green as he possibly can on a golf course, which is tough. Yeah. And, and I wish I wish more people would would 
think more about what goes into making the golf courses look the way they do because we all know you drive up, you get out of your car, you go to the pro shop, you go to the, the, the uh, starter shack, and you play golf, and then you're done. And usually by the time you're about halfway through the back nine, you're either really happy or you, or you cursed golf for the rest of your life. <laughs> and the last yep. thing you want to know is think about all the things that go into a golf course, which there are a lot. So I'm thinking that um, maybe next year I'm going to do something different where I start to include some more regional and some more local things. You know, uh, maybe- you know, I'll bet you could get Dan to do a Zoom for you. Uh, he would be fascinating uh, mm-hmm. to, to get on there. He's so good at what he does. Yeah, because even even this year with Loyola's Climate Change Conference, which was mainly virtual, um, I was kind of looking at our speakers, and I and I felt like, again, they were taking steps, and I probably shouldn't say this because we're being recorded, <laughs> but, but, but they're taking steps that are going so far, so far ahead of the curve that I think the students have in their brains. You know, it's like you open up the textbook and you go, wow, this is what they're doing. In other parts of the world, we have to do the same thing here. But you don't have to do that. You can just literally go to the next neighborhood over. So, yeah, I think that's a good idea, Mike, is do something more like that. Um, and, you know, I think we did that a few years back at the Botanical Gardens, which was become a little bit more localized. Um, so every once in a while, as, as well as you think you may have checked off a box, there's always another way of doing it a little bit better. So that's that's my next that's my next goal. That's my next challenge. Well, uh, speaking, speaking, however, of national parks, I just went to a uh, site to see the most visited, 10 most visited national parks in 2020, which is kind of interesting because it was the pandemic year. So, and, and I wonder how that would uh, uh, compare. Uh, let's look. Uh, yeah. I know it, what number one is. It's the same one every year. Yes, it is. And you, Peggy, do you know what it is? Um, I could guess, but go ahead. We're, we don't have that much time. Put it this way. You do this. Go you ahead, drive just, through. Go ahead. Smoky Mountain. Right. Ding. Okay. The Great Smoky Mountains yeah. National Park is number one. And, I'm also, sorry. I'm also reading the restream here. So. Oh, okay. But and, that's because uh, you drive through it. You drive through it. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and yeah. last year. It beat number two by three times as many visitors. I mean, there were yeah, three times as many visitors to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park as there were to number two, and number two would be? Oh, God, I want to say um, Yellowstone? Correct. All right. Yeah. Uh, number three yeah. Number three is Zion National Park. Four is Rocky yeah. Mountain National Park. Five is Grand Teton. Six is Grand Canyon. I'm surprised Grand Canyon is that low. Um, it's number seven, Cuyahoga Valley National Park. Hmm. Uh, oh, Ohio? Uh, yeah. I believe so, yeah. Eight is Acadia Never. National Park. Nine is the Olympic National Park, which you mentioned. And ten, Joshua Tree National Park. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, one of the amazing things about Joshua Tree, I, I opened up my list a little bit more this year, and I never did Joshua Tree because I thought it was kind of a minor park, but it is one of the most used parks for camping. And... One of the things that the National Park Service is always doing is they go, come visit, but but not so much. So you have all these people who camp, and you know what their number one problem there at Joshua National Park is? What? Is getting rid of it's trash, just getting rid of trash. Oh, Because yeah. so many people use it, and they don't have enough bins, and they don't have enough recycling. So they've actually gone back and revisited how they're recycling and how they 
um, have people use it, obviously, during uh, years of, you know, extreme drought, which is almost every year because you're in the desert. But uh, the few times I went, I've been through Great Smoky Mountain National Park now three times. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a drive fest. That's all. Everybody just drives and they get and they look around and they get back in their cars yeah, and drive. There are a lot of trails, yeah. though. And, there are and, tons of trails, yeah. A yeah. couple of great comments here. Uh, Tracy DeMarco writes, surprise, no students research Shawnee National Forest because it's right in Illinois. Um, I don't know if that well, was... Well, because it's not a national park. It needed to be a national park, okay. And uh, Dennis Dreyer writes, Lake County Forest Preserve District is addressing climate change mm-hmm. by experimenting with seeding their restoration projects yeah. with wildflowers and grasses procured from 100s of miles south. They're, yeah, that's yeah, a big because, project from a different zone. They're bringing up seeds. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, yeah, because um, we've gone to like more more zone six here than ever before. Am I right about that, Peg? Yeah, we're getting close to zone six here. I mean, along the lake, it's been zone six for a while, and uh, right. you know, it's it, inland. It's harder to to judge, but uh, those zones are creeping. They're creeping up. So yeah, and you know what? Real quickly here, because I know we're running out of time, but they got a pretty good climate change program. Um, at Lake Forest College, um, and every year the, the the department chair there goes, um, in the future we may need you to teach up here. Let me know your availability. Every year I say I'm available, but they always have someone else on online or or in line as as opposed to going to me, which is fine. I got other stuff to do, but they got a pretty good they got a pretty good uh, bunch of classes up there at Lake Forest College. So yes, I think this is the thing Tracy talks about Shawnee National Forest. I may kind of break it down and kind of go more regional. Um, and the only reason why I do national parks is this way it keeps the rubric similar from a standpoint of federal, state, and then also the information that can, that, that, that can get is a little bit easy to do. So part of it is I make it easier for me to grade, which is the number one goal of the teacher, is make your grading easier. But if I can expand uh, it a little bit more, you know, regional things like, you know, a golf course, Lake Forest, you know, um, you know, uh, Forest Preserve District um, or Shawnee, I'll, I'll definitely I'll definitely do that. As long as I can have Tracy help me grade my papers. <laughs> okay, Tracy, <laughs> the, the gauntlet has, orders, Tracy. <laughs> has been thrown. So, all right. Have you got a yeah. forecast for us? Oh, God. So sunny today, sunny tomorrow, um, 60 inland today, 50, literally right along Sheridan Road East. <laughs> ah, um, uh, overnight low about 40 to 45. That's about 10 degrees warmer than yesterday and about 10 degrees warmer than Friday night. Um, lower 60s everywhere during the day on Monday. Southwest winds, um, lower 60s on Tuesday, but windy with rain developing in the afternoon. And we'll probably get about maybe a half inch. We've been dry. We've actually been really dry over the last three weeks. And next week we'll probably talk a little bit more about that. Um, but it does look like we turn cooler, but only baby lower 50s for Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Next week looks interesting. It could be a pretty significant storm that sits right over uh, northern Illinois. I have not looked at any data yet this morning, but it definitely looks to be a much, much more unsettled weekend next weekend. So if you want to get out about and do a bunch of things today um, or tomorrow, if you have tomorrow off, Definitely do it because today and tomorrow look to me like the best two days of the next seven. All righty, yeah, we saw They're some all warmer, above average um, temps. Well, warmer 
today, tomorrow, and then Tuesday, and then a slow down trim. So okay. the next it's still above yeah. average. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, Peggy at a normal high is close to forty eight, but I think over the next five days, five to ten degrees above normal, both at, at during the daytime and at night. And the nighttime warmth is really important. You talked about that before the Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Rick. Have a great week. Uh, talk to you soon. Sounds good. Later, guys. Bye bye. Um, we're uh, we're we're basically uh, out overtime. of time. Yeah, we're we yeah we are in overtime. So let's just do this. Uh, thank everybody who is on the show today. The Garden Ranters, Marianne, Will, uh, Will's, uh, so Wilburn, uh, Wilburn, and Susan Harris, uh, Elena Harkness from uh, Current Water. Org. By the way, you can go to GardenRant.com as well. I uh, want to thank Rick, Kathleen, Lagata, Basil the dog. Uh, have we forgotten anybody? I think we're good. I think, okay. Well, then, uh, and until next time. And, and our listeners. And our listeners, of course. Thank you guys for writing in. Oh, we'll ju- talk jumping worms next week. Until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. (laughs) 